Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. We're glad that you have chosen to join us for this week's sermon of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. God's Word is full of timeless truths that are relevant to our lives today. Here's this week's message. Today I'm going to be reading from Habakkuk. It is one of the minor prophets, and the words will be on the screen. It might take a a little bit to find it in the Old Testament. It's nestled in among some other minor prophets as well. And it's a privilege to be able to preach uh, from this prophet today. I, I have not spent much time in this prophet before this week. But I found myself just uh, amazed at how as much as we look at the words of the prophets, their words have been preserved because so much of what they had to say continues to speak to us today and speak and spoke to the church for, for many, many uh, years and centuries. And the church is like, yes, this is the Word of God for us. And, uh, and I believe Habakkuk has something to say to us as well uh, for our time. So uh, chapter 1, the first few verses, and then we're going to skip ahead to chapter 2, just kind of give you uh, a quick kind of overview of, of what, uh, what he's talking about the oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry out for help, and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. He's going to continue on in that chapter kind of laying out just how ugly things seem, th- things seem and also how God just seems to be, you know, kind of, kind of absent. Uh, so he goes to chapter 2. So I'm going to stand, my, stand at my watch post, station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. Moreover, wealth is treacherous. The arrogant do not endure. They open their throats wide as Sheol, Like death, they never have enough. They gather all nations for themselves and collect all peoples as their own. I I look at this passage of Scripture, and while, of course, we'll we'll get to a little bit of what he's talking about, but I look at this and find myself thinking about two major questions, two questions that, that come to mind. And I know he starts off asking some questions, but just kind of step back, some foundational questions. The first one is, is God big enough? Is God big enough? Now, there's many ways, of course, we can approach that question. One, uh, someone once asked me, this is their approach. They thought they were being funny or uh, being clever. Uh, they asked me, they said, uh, uh, Tim, uh, you're a pastor, so, so you believe God is like the omnipotent creator, right? The all-powerful creator. And I was like, um, sure. <laughs> and, uh, and he says, okay, okay, here's my question for you. Can God... Create a rock big enough, heavy enough, that he can't carry it. That was his riddle for me. And I was like, 
Okay, okay, I see what you're doing here. You know, that, that, that idea of either he's, he's, he, his, crea- his, his status as creator is, is inhibited if he can't make it big enough, but then his omnipotence is inhibited or, or taken away if he can't lift it, right? So that, that was the riddle. And I said to him, I said, well, now you see why I delayed my answer. <laughs> I said, because sometimes even our idea of strength, even our idea of what it means to be powerful, and when we impose that upon God, even that finds ourselves putting them in a box. And that's theology 101. You can't put God in a box and in the constructions of, of, of our thoughts and our language. He's bigger than all that. So, so, uh, so I said, no. I, I, I said, uh, so that's just kind of, a, kind of a silly question. I said, it's kind of silly on the other hand because like, uh, like if the only thoughts of strength is like, I don't know, is it big enough or is it strong enough? Can I lift it or am I, can I do that? And like, like, there's so many other examples of strength out there to think that those are the only ones. Is God big enough? Now, that seems like a weird kind of question, but I think sometimes we approach the problems of our world in the same way as that riddle. God should just be able to overtake it. God should just be strong enough to be able to overcome it. And so sometimes we approach the problems of our world. We ask this question uh, with what's going on in the world. When we've been watching the news too much, we find ourselves saying, oh man, everything's falling apart. Everything looks bad. Things are still dreary. Things have been dreary for a while. And we find ourselves saying, man, where, God, when are you going to answer? When are you going to take care of this? And we find ourselves looking at the problems of the world and going, oh, God, when are, how much longer does this continue? The unfaithful are here. There, there's continued problems going on. And from a world perspective, we find ourselves asking, God, is this rock that we're all standing on too big for you to carry? We find, when are you going to take care of the sin in our world? And, and sometimes we ask this question from a personal perspective. Not looking out, but looking in and saying, okay. I know what I have to put up with. I know what I'm dealing with. I know, I know the doubts. I know the concerns. I know all the issues that I'm facing right now. And right now, God, I just need you to take care of that. I need to be able to know that when I turn it over to you, you're going to overtake it. You're going to overcome it. And it's not going to be my problem anymore. That becomes our personal prayer. We start to ask, God, are you able? Are you more than able to accomplish what concerns me today? And so that, that it becomes a question. From, from a song or from, from, from a praise to, to a concern and a question. You know, can God handle those kinds of things? Is God big enough? In particular from Habakkuk, I think the question is, is God big enough to handle my questions, my complaints, my issues? I mean, when we look at some of the things uh, Habakkuk is complaining about, uh, uh, he, he's talking about some of the things that are the very nature of God, and I'll come back to that in a moment. The second question, I think, that kind of underlies everything that he talks about here is this. Can I question God? <laughs> Do I have any bearing at all where that's okay for me to question God the way Habakkuk is questioning God, or, or, or sometimes the ways we want to question God? I think sometimes we have examples of Scripture where this, is, this seems like totally not good, not okay at all. For instance, we have the story of Moses. And Moses, when he is called to lead the people out of slavery, and God says, hey, you're going to talk to Pharaoh, and here's some miracles because you have some questions and concerns, and now you're going to go. And Moses are saying, no, I don't know. I don't talk so good, and I'm scared, and this isn't going to work. And God finally says to him, look, I've called Aaron to come and see you. 
Don't make me tell him he did all this for nothing. <laughs> You're going to do this. That's the Tim's Revised Standard Version. So, so, uh, so, so he tells him, hey, Aaron's coming. This, this is your call. And so we hear from that, of course, that despite our, our concerns, despite our deficiencies, des- despite uh, our own kind of uh, questions, to be able to trust in God. And even later on in the New Testament, one of the letters James is going to write, he's going to say, hey, it, he says, do not be a person of doubt. It, you're like a boat rocked in the waves is a, is a person who doubts. And Dan, you remember, I don't like the waves when I've been all day on a boat. <laughs> like, that is not good. And, so, like, um, and so, so, so James is saying, hey, that is what it's like to have doubt. And you find yourself saying, okay, okay, I guess having these kind of questions for God is not a good thing at all. I mean, this is... This is the hymn we sing second, uh, in a nutshell, trust and obey, right? There's no questions, there's no issues. In fact, I even think the second verse said there's no shadows, there's no doubts, right? We're just trusting and obeying. Boom, here we are. And, And these scriptures are, of course, and even that hymn is so great as an ideal and a way of saying, hey, I, I hope and I'm praying that, that my faith will be that. And there are seasons and indeed where, yes, that's exactly where my faith is and, I, and I'm going strong. But there's also other passages of Scripture that indicate kind of a, a different feel, a different take, if you will. There's a disciple of Jesus named Thomas. What do we call him? <laughs> we call him Doubting Thomas, don't we? Why? Because the disciple said, we have the best news this world has ever known, in the, ever. And this is that our Savior has been raised from the dead, and this changes everything. And Thomas was like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> Again, this is the Tim Revised Standard Version. He said, I don't know. Like, I, I, I need to see this. I need to feel this. I need to touch this. And then finally Jesus shows up. He's like, here, shake my hand. Your, your finger could pass through this. Like, like, like Jesus shows up and says, touch. Feel where the spear went through. And he believes. And Thomas, despite his doubt, as we call it, becomes, according to church history, the main evangelist east of the promised land. He's the one, him and his disciples, who end up sharing Christianity into Egypt and even into China. This is what he does. And there is, according to the Gospel of Luke, a person who goes to Jesus with a question, looking for a miracle. And Jesus, of course, tells him he needs to have faith. And what he says to Jesus is these very memorable words. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus blesses him. And Jesus receives that phrase, receives that comment, receives that statement of faith, even with an admission of, 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 of something else he's struggling with, and blesses him. That, that is okay to approach Jesus with a measure of, Lord, I do believe, but there's unbelief too. That, that in our life, that sometimes there are ebbs and flows Seasons of, 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 of our faith. And sometimes there are moments where it seems like we have questions and doubts and it ebbs and flows like the tides. And sometimes it seems like low tide is taking a whole lot longer than it should. And, uh, and as long as, but I find myself thinking, as long as we are asking God the questions, it means we're trusting Him for some answers, right? And so here we are in Habakkuk. And this is what he does. He begins by saying, Lord, how much longer? He says, I look around and all I see is violence and I need to know how much longer is this going to go on? 
He says, uh, he, he's looking around and he's saying, okay, there's a lot of problems here today. And God, what's happening? He's asking questions of God. He looks around and he, he knows the problems of his time. So he's most likely, he's most likely a, a preaching to a church or, or, and to a nation who is, who is just a few monarchs away from their final exile. He's writing this during the last few kings of Judah, and things don't look good. There's poor leadership. There's violence. The tribal families from the north in Israel have already been gone and taken away. There's violent forces to the east, what he's going to call later on in chapter 1, the Chaldeans, which is another name for those Babylonians who I, who I mentioned before uh, in previous sermons. I mean, it's just not looking good. And so he, he just knows that things here at home aren't good. Things around the world don't look good. Nothing is looking great. And God, where's, where's the future? Where are you in all of this? And notice how he questions God with phrases like, will you not listen? I never like hearing that phrase. <laughs> he says, God, will you not listen? Will you not save? These are questions about the very understanding of God. I mean, this is how we know who God is. God has shown himself throughout scriptures to often listen, to often save. In fact, what we find again and again is that's exactly who he is. He has great concern for those who have been enslaved, great concern for those who have been widowed or those who have been poor, those who have been aliens or those who have been orphaned. This is, this is part of the definition of, of, of how he's in asked the, the nation of Israel to, to live out their faith and taking care of those, listening and saving those who need it. When Habakkuk asks these questions, he's getting back down to the very, his very understanding of who God is and how God has kind of defined himself throughout history. Where are you now, he's asking. This is a question that uh, just kind of hangs in all of chapter 1 as this continuing. God, I thought you were the God from, from creation from long ago. And see, things are just quiet. I mean, just, just again and again and again. Finally, in chapter 2, he says, okay. I'm waiting, waiting for a response. I'm looking for a response. I think I've told this story before. It stays with me, and so um, I'll share it again. Uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, early uh, uh, memories of, of my Christian faith was uh, a youth pastor telling me, okay, guys, he asked us a question about uh, what we should do with some kind of issue or concern that we might have, what we do with our current concerns, and, and, we, and, and we knew the answer. This was Sunday school class. We knew the answer. Well, you've got to pray about it. You've got to pray about it. And so we said that, and he says, okay, but what if you just can't bring yourself to pray? What if, what if, what if that just isn't even like on, your, on your radar? It's just too hard. What do we do then? And, and it's just like stone silent. This is like, like crickets, you know, like all of us are just quiet. And we learned two things that one day. One of the things we learned that uh, Mark told me was uh, he knows when he asks a tough question and the wheels are turning, he just waits. He doesn't say a thing. And so like five minutes go by. I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And we're all like, what's the question again? Like, like just boom. But he knows. His lesson was this. First one to talk loses. So he knows if he just, he starts talking, now he's got to give the answer. So he just waited. And, and, uh, and so finally we start throwing out different thoughts and ideas. And, and finally he just suggested, what if, what if even when you don't want to, you, you, still, you still put yourself in a place of prayer and you still force yourself to pray? What if you do that? And, and I thought, and I remember when he first said that, and I said, no, we already wrote that off as an option. You can't, like, you, you just tricked me. <laughs> like, we just said we didn't feel like it, and we don't do things we don't feel like, right? So, so no, that's just not even an option. But that's what he said. And I found myself thinking, well, that's interesting. 
that, that, uh, that, that he can even say, we are basically putting ourselves into a new habit, into a practice. And so one of the things I've been doing um, for the last few weeks is kind of uh, teaching some early church history to some people who are getting ready for ordination. And, and one of the things um, uh, we've kind of gone over recently is, is the early church fathers talked about, early church fathers means basically the disciples of the disciples. But one of the things they talked about is we have to create a habit of praying for holiness, of praying for God's work in our life. We need to create a habit of prayer for God to act in our life. And that this was necessary for the life of a Christian and for the early church, to create a habit of this. And, and the reason for this, and they said, is, and even, even one of the words is, force yourself to do this. And I found myself thinking about that and thinking that our faith is never just a passive, okay, God, I'm waiting. Okay, God, I'm waiting for you to do something. Like even in Habakkuk 1, as much as he is complaining, God, there's violence, God, there's issues here, he's not just waiting for the world to change. He is actively involved in finding out where God is going to move next. I say this when he says, I set up a watch post. I set up a rampart. This is not just passively, okay, God, when are you going to do something? If you've asked anybody who's in the military about what it's like to set up a guard post or to be on the lookout or to wait, it's not just passive. You don't get to like fall asleep or nap while you're watching. There are, there are rules and there are routes and there are, uh, and there are kind of like programs in place of what they are supposed to do while they are waiting. When they start, when they end, who is watching them, what, what uh, practices they are doing to help keep alert of what they're supposed to do. It is an activity in waiting and guarding. And so Habakkuk is actively looking for what God is going to do. And I found myself thinking, as I've reflected on what Mark had said long ago, we'll pray anyway, it, it wasn't just a way of saying, well, muscle through it. I'll just, just go, go back to that moment when you have your hands together and your eyes closed. I found myself thinking, if, if our faith and our prayer life is actively engaging in what God wants us to do in our world, then it means when things are hard and we have a hard time even going to God in prayer, we are also then, when we say, hey, we're going to do this anyway, we're asking God, God, how else can I be involved? How else can I incorporate my body and my person into the act of prayer? You know, the greatest acts of prayer are the ones that are followed up by action, <laughs> by saying, uh, hey, I want to be involved. Well, there is a... Um, Secular alternative to the phrase, I'm praying for you. Um, uh, so if uh, uh, people who are, are not of, of the faith want to tell somebody, basically, I'm praying for you, without praying or saying they're praying for you, they'll say something like, I'm sending you good vibes. <laughs> I'm sending you good vibes, good thoughts, and, uh, and uh, you know, hoping for the best. But prayer in the life of the church was never supposed to be just thinking good thoughts or hoping for good things. It was putting ourselves before the God who wants to act in our world and putting ourselves before that God in faithfulness to whatever he will call us to do. The best prayers are the ones that are followed up with, how can I help? 
what am I doing? And uh, uh, what am I doing for you? And uh, being engaged in the activity that we are looking for release from. It is an active waiting on what God is going to do in the midst of that prayer. And I can't think, help but think when in chapter 2 he says, hey, I'm setting up the watch post. I think of uh, my father in the military or various family members and friends who I know have been in it. And without a doubt, if it's just, a, uh, I'm bored, I'm waiting, I'm falling asleep, oh, you're not going to be in the, on the post for very long. But waiting on what God is doing means uh, being actively engaged in looking for what exactly you are there to do. So he says, wait for the appointed time. The Lord answers him. He sees this. He tells him, you're going to wait for the appointed time. Don't tarry. Don't wait. Evil is indeed going to be removed. He says, this is a part of, and this is part of a promise I want to make sure you get. I want to make sure that not only do you get it, but everyone gets it. He says, this promise of waiting for the appropriate time, for that appointed time, and waiting, of course, again, is not passive. It's okay, God. How am I going to be faithful in the midst of this? How am I going to maybe trust and obey? How am I going to uh, recognize that, hey, despite the clouds, despite the waves, how am I going to be faithful in this? It is always active. He says, this is the message for the people. And I I want it so clear even a runner can read it. I remember when I was at South Portland one time I got a call. It was a Saturday morning. I got a call from the pastor and he said, Tim, I'm sick. I'm not feeling good. I don't think I'm going to be better tomorrow. And he says, uh, can you preach for me on Sunday? And, I, and he's in the middle of a sermon series. And he knows the sermon series he's got to do. And he says, Tim, I trust you'll be able to do it. Can you preach for me? I'm like, sure. He's like, I got a sermon for you and I'll send it to you. But... Uh, uh, but it's just an outline. And I said, okay. So I look at this outline and I'm like, okay, I have no clue how to preach from your outline. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to have to do some of my own work. So that day, fortunately, it was a passage of scripture I had researched, I had worked on, I had preached from before. So I had some background, but I just had that day then to kind of construct what I was going to do. When he says, I want you to write this vision down so even a runner can read it, he's like, this isn't the outline version. (laughs) This is anyone can read it and just say clearly what I want to say. And what God is saying is, wait, I am still at work. The violence you see doesn't get the last word. Look indeed at all those who are engaged in that, those who are proud, those who are wealthy, those who who can't help consuming. He says their maws are basically wide open, just, just, just looking to shovel more in. And he says this is indeed the world that he sees, and God sees it too, and he knows it. But that will not always be the case. And his word for them is this. The righteous will live by faith. This is a phrase that will stay in the vocabulary of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul will use like three times. The righteous will live by faith. And this phrase has both a present and future connotation. On the one hand, Habakkuk is looking, okay, we're just going to endure, we're going to make it, we're going to say, okay, God, this is the issues, but we trust and obey, we're just, we're just going to live by faith, we're going to move forward. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church, and he sees indeed that, that the world is still filled with violence. In fact, he was a part of it at one point in time, when he looks at just how bad things are, and he, and he sees... This word, this phrase by Habakkuk, and says the righteous will live by faith. He sees it not just as a command, but as something else as well. He sees it as a promise. That this command by God, that the righteous should live by their faith, 
is a promise for God's people. And so when he quotes from Habakkuk, he's saying again and again, the righteous will live for all eternity with God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit because of their faithfulness. And so he, he, he borrows from this prophet, helps us see indeed that our faith today makes a difference for how we live and how we respond and who we impact right now in this world, but also makes a difference for God's eternal purpose and God's eternal plan for us. And so I am thankful for for a passage like this that reminds us that wherever we are today, whatever the clouds are, whatever the waves are, that God shines a light on His hope, on His plan, on His eternity for us. And that we are able to live forward in that hope and offer wherever we are available encouragement, good news, and the gospel to those around us. I know I said at the announcements that that's my hope uh, going into November that we'll be able to do that. If there's someone who's in need, that we'll be able to say, hey, we want to help take care of that because God is going to take care of us. And he has a plan and a future for you. A simple word that goes with a gift basket. If you know someone who needs that, let us know. Uh, This week, there might be someone who you realize, hey, I have an opportunity to pray for them this week. Remember, God puts us to work in our prayers as well. Find out how you can engage and help and encouragement with them as well. Habakkuk has been that word of encouragement for us through these many centuries. And God is giving us the opportunity to enter into that work and see indeed that our God is still at work in ways that we are just beginning to see. And His strength is exhibited in ways that will continue to surprise us and delight us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for, um, for your scripture and your word. And Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have large shoulders, a big heart, great big arms to wrap around your children. That Heavenly Father, that we can go to you and we can say, God, I don't understand it. I don't get it. This is how I always thought you were going to be and I wasn't expecting this to happen. And we can go as angry, as raw, as just kind of as sad, as upset as, as we want to be. <laughs> Habakkuk shows us that's scriptural. And yet you still responded and answered with hope and with a future for this prophet who spoke this way and that, Lord, you will still speak hope and a future into our lives as well. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that for all the examples of, of, of faithfulness in Scripture, of all the examples of, uh, of learning to trust you when things are hardest, that it is not a character statement about where we've been or what we're struggling with, It is indeed a promise of what you want to continue to do in our lives. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you give us courage to pray boldly for what you are going to do, to trust in your work. And Heavenly Father, help us to live by faith, knowing that you are with us today and for all eternity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope that the message has inspired you to draw closer to God each day. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you abundantly as you serve him today. 